Good afternoon. My name is Alvin. If it's your first time here in Nashville Life, I'm the lead pastor here. And I'm so honored that you decided to spend this afternoon with us here at Nashville Life. Nashville Life, are we happy that they're here? Yes. Um, we are in the second week of September. And uh, there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on. There's some great things happening. Um, there's some challenging things happening. Life has a way of offering us uh, good and bad things simultaneously. But as, as people of faith, we are trained by God and the Holy Spirit to magnify the good that is happening. And that's what helps us get through. There's a lot of great things happening. People are getting saved, first of all. People are literally changing their eternal destinies as we speak as well as in this community. Um, people are being matured in the faith. People are receiving the Holy Spirit. People are being ministered. People are getting revelations of the word of God, revelations of Jesus in great ways. Uh, hungry people are being fed. Um, we've got people discovering their gifts, people using their gifts. People are getting married. People are having kids. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of great things Happening. Our church just got to represent um, at this conference uh, at Al Land for thousands of people. Uh, we've got our life groups. People are leading groups for the first time. People are going to groups for the first time. Uh, it's a lot of great things happening. So I choose to magnify that. Um, our building is is moving forward. Um, we. <laughs> We're not in as fast as we wanted to be in. We really thought we were going to be in a while back. But um, this one particular area in the, in the auditorium, like literally every other part of the church is finished. It looks so good, guys. It's so good. Um, but, but, we, but the positive thing, again, you've got to really... The Lord has given me plenty of practice of, like, discovering silver linings in, in situations. But, but we had some great meetings this week um, that, that really shows that the ball is getting rolling uh, with this particular holdup with the auditorium. We want to just make sure that it's safe. We want to make sure that all of the structural things are sound, particularly the production. You see how these lights and, and, and uh, speakers are, like, up above our heads like those things need to make sure, we need to make sure those things are secure so that it's safe and that nobody is worshiping, worried about things falling down. Um, and, and, and it's there. It's there. It's just a matter of getting the right people to sign things off. And then we'll put up our lights, we'll put up our speakers, and we'll literally be in. That's all that we've got to do for this building. So, so, so just be praying that, that things move and that there's no other hindrances or things that try to uh, delay uh, our, our opening day into this awesome new facility for us. Um, but good things are happening. Good things are happening. Uh, before we get into the message, I would like for us to do our pre-word declaration that, that I lead us in before we get into the message. So repeat these words after me, if you can. Uh, say, the word of God is the bread of life. May my heart conceive it and my life achieve it. The more I give life, the more I'll receive. The more I live life, the more I'll believe. In the name of Jesus, amen. 
Sorry for that typo. It's supposed to be give. That's why I was like, give life. Um, but we got it. We got it. Um, <laughs> thanks, Laura. <laughs> yes, we got it. Uh, okay, the, the, the series for this month is called The Faithful Ones. The Faithful Ones is what we're calling the, the month of, of, of September. Um, it's one thing to have faith. And honestly, according to the word, all of us have it. We might not all have a lot of faith, but I believe every single person here has at least a small amount of faith. I believe that every single person here has at least a small ability to be optimistic towards what they haven't seen yet. I think the most faithless person in this room still has a little bit of faith, um, but this series is not about having a little bit. It's about being full of it. And the cool thing about being faithful is all you need to start with is a little bit. But it's about how you, how you cultivate that little bit and how you use that little bit so it can become much. And this month is about us joining the ranks of the faithful ones, the ones who live their life not just with faith, but full of faith. You live by faith. It's how you operate. It's how you see. It's how you talk. It's how you think from a place of faith. Um, are all of us there yet? No. But it's okay because that's why we're here. And as we continue to give ourselves to the word of God and the teaching of his word and, and obey him in the small things, he will be faithful to multiply your faith to where you can honestly say that you are amongst the faithful ones. Uh, we're using Hebrews 11, Hebrews 11 to, to study this topic of faith. Hebrews is a great book, um, particularly just on just theology, learning how to connect the Old Testament to the New. Hebrews is rich with a lot of clarity and understanding on how to, how to understand the big picture of this thing called uh, Jesus Christ and the faith and the church. Um, Hebrews 11 uh, speaks specifically on faith. It highlights uh, other human beings like us who lived a long, long time ago who were faithful. And it highlights people um, who lived by faith. And it shows the, the amazing opportunities they were afforded because of living by faith and the miracles and the healings. And uh, ultimately, even more so than that, the pleasure that they gave to God. I don't know if you guys realize, we're going to study it, I want to get ahead of myself, but faith, when we live by faith, it gives God pleasure. It's like, oh, it makes him feel so good when he sees people live by faith. And I'm not sure about you all, but it's my desire to please God. I want my God, what's up, Holly? Hi, how are you? I'm so sorry. We love Holly. Holly's been away for a while. She's back. Praise God for Holly. Um, I'm sorry, that just threw me off. I was like, I know you. Okay. Um, but, but faith, uh, we, I'm sorry, I got off track. Um, but but we're, we're called to, or these accounts uh, show what, what life can, can be when, when we live by faith. And the idea is that these figures in Scripture motivate us to, to live like these people, um, to at the very minimum match their faith, if not surpass it. I actually believe that 
According to Scripture, the Bible says that the latter house of believers, the group of believers in the future, will be greater than the former. And these are some amazing saints and some amazing believers that live before us. But Scripture says that we're actually called to even greater faith and doing greater things. So I believe that as we study these people this month, we should be inspired to not just match their faith, but let's how much further can we go with this thing called faith? I know, I know Abraham and Sarah were able to do that with faith. And I know Noah was able to do that with faith. But what could we in 2021 do by faith? Um, so that's my prayer of what happens with us uh, at Nashville Life. I'm going to do a quick review, and then we're going to get into uh, new content uh, last week, verse 1 starts off with a very famous scriptural definition of faith. Verse 1 of Hebrews 11 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So there's some key components that we must realize are uh, required for faith. You know, there's some required ingredients for faith. Like when you're making a dish, you know, if you're making beef stew, you know, uh, a required ingredient is beef. <laughs> you got it. You, it's, I mean, well, even though these days with so many substitutions with vegetarian and vegan things, but it's not beef stew. I don't care how much it tastes like beef. It's not beef stew unless there's beef in the stew. There are some required ingredients that you have to have. So when it comes for faith, you cannot make faith without something that you're hoping for, there has to be a hope. There has to be a desire attached to faith. Otherwise, it's not faith. Faith, by definition, must be attached to a hope, a desire that you want to see happen. And it has to involve the unseen. It must involve the unseen. Two required ingredients. Having faith without something that you're hoping for and without the element of something not seen is like trying to make beef stew without beef. It just doesn't work. You got to have a hope and you got to have something that's unseen for it to be faith. Um, we also see in verse 2, it says, for by it, it being faith, the elders obtained a good testimony. So again, we're in review, but last week we showed that that scripture just means that there's a lot of saints who've gone before us, a lot of people from the days of old who lived by this thing called faith, and it actually afforded them good lives. Um, not easy lives, but good lives, even miraculous lives, and great stories, great testimonies from faith. Again, the whole idea of bringing up the elders and the people who've gone before us is so, so that we could be motivated and inspired to join their ranks. Um, Verse 3, very important. I'm still in review. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. Okay, this is a very fundamental understanding that, that people of God are granted. It's a blessing. It's a very valuable perspective that I don't believe 
anyone else that has faith in other things gets to experience. I believe when you have faith in God, you are granted a very specific, unique understanding that everything that you see, everything that you see tangibly, visibly, whether it's the sky, whether it's water, whether it's your own hand, whether it's your spouse, whether it's cash, whether it's your car, whether it's the feet that you are walking with or the ground that you're standing on, everything visible is subject to an unseen world. If that sounds lofty or, or uh, far-fetched, we got to catch up if we're people of faith. People of faith, the Bible says, by faith, we understand. There's an understanding that people of faith have that nothing that we see is really the end game. The unseen world is way more superior, way more influential, way more dominant in our lives than anything that is visible. And that is something that gives us a confidence that people who don't have faith in God can't have. Having faith in God and having this understanding that you see on the screen is what allows you to rejoice in the midst of a storm. When everything that you see looks bad, the person who understands that everything that I see is subject to something that I don't see, they live their life very differently. And it's very appropriate, especially as Christians, because we're the ones who believe in God. We're the ones who follow God. And Scripture is explicitly clear that God is invisible. He is unseen. He is of the unseen world. The only visible incarnation of God is Jesus. But the Holy Spirit, God the Father, they are unseen. They are unseen. And Jesus himself, who is the manifestation, the, the visible manifestation of God, he even relayed the message that blessed are those who believe without seeing. Why? Because the unseen world is actually way more dominant way more influential, way more powerful than anything that is visible. And that is an understanding that people of faith have according to Hebrews 11, verse 3. So then it brings up people like Abel, Enoch, Noah, and these were people who lived by faith. Again, these elders, these, these saints of old, these believers from ancient times that lived by faith. And because of it, they pleased God. That is a common denominator by everyone who lives by faith is they please God. They bring God pleasure. And is it possible for God to love someone and not be pleased by them? Absolutely. And proof of that is God calls us to love our enemies. And God knows our enemies don't bring us pleasure. So my point is we serve a God who has the ability to love us even if we're not pleasing him. And that's cool to know, but I'm someone that's not satisfied with just that. I actually want to please him. It's like, cool, I'm glad you love me unconditionally. I don't want to use that and abuse that and not treat you right. 
even though I know that you're going to forgive me for everything that I do, I, that, I don't want to abuse that. I don't want to use that truth and keep on spitting in your face, even though because I know you're going to forgive me. That's just not, that's not how I want to do my relationship with God. I don't want to do my relationship with God like that where I take advantage of the fact that he loves me even if I don't please him. That just doesn't, that's not a, that's not a relationship to me. That's not a, that's what we call toxic relationships. That is not a healthy relationship if there's not some mutual desire to bring each other pleasure and, and joy, right? So if I see in Scripture that it pleases God for me to live by faith, then my love for him is what inspires me to say, well, let me try to get better at this thing. Not, well, you love me regardless, God, even if I don't have faith. Well, yeah, but where's the love in that? Honestly, where's the love in knowing what pleases him and repeatedly choose not to do it? I don't want to do that way. I don't think you guys want to live that way either. I don't think that's how we want to do our relationship with God, right? Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, but without faith, it is impossible. to." I mean, how much more explicit can you get? It's telling you no matter how good your intentions are, if you don't live by faith, if you don't approach God from faith, it is impossible. And there's aren't, there aren't many things that the word says are, are impossible. It's impossible to please God without faith. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So, again, this is kind of common sense. Think about it, guys. If God can't be seen, if he is a spirit, and we don't have faith, which is the ability to believe and hope in what we don't see, I mean, how could a relationship like that work? If we don't believe in the unseen and God himself is unseen, it's impossible. Like, it's not even like a, a subjective thing. It's very objective. Like, if you don't believe in what you don't see and you can't see God, how will you even believe in God, let alone please God? So that's why this is a very logical statement, that it's impossible to please him without faith because faith is our ability to believe and pursue what we can't see. And God fits in that category. So that was review. <laughs> okay. Um, Abraham. Abraham, the Bible calls Abraham the father of our faith. He is the father of our faith. He is the, the uh, patriarch of, of the faith that we even live now. The, 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 the church was birthed through uh, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one that planted the church. And Jesus is, uh, was was given to us via this nation called Israel, and Israel came to us through this family that started with a man named Abraham, who had a son named Isaac, who had Jacob, who had a lot of sons, but 
Joseph, and the next you know, like it continues on. This family grows to becoming this nation and this this breed of people, and Jesus was of that nation. So we have a lot to thank Abraham and Isaac and Jacob for. I mean, to this to this day, we still call God the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So it all really starts with this man named Abraham. And verse 8, Hebrews talks about, talks about him. It says, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Abraham was called by God during a time when he was living in the land of his father. And by father, I mean his biological father. He was called away from his family, his biological family, so that God could start a new lineage, a lineage that's not rooted in biology, but is rooted in faith and the spirit of God. It's, it was a very different kind of family uh, prior to any family that existed before Abraham. He wanted to start this lineage that was fueled not just by by what we biologically understand makes families. He wanted to be a family that was fueled and driven by faith and by the Spirit of God. Um, and this is very much a foreshadowing. I'm not sure if you guys are putting two and two together even as I speak, but this is a foreshadowing of what we know to be born again. In the faith of Christianity, we believe in being born again because Jesus says you, you, you can't see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. So we see that this concept is not new, this idea of having a biological family and a biological identity, but then being called out of that into something that is a faith identity and something that is a spiritual identity. It's something that we live as Christians, and it's something that we see was foreshadowed with Abraham. In life, you have your biological identity, and you are an heir to a biological bloodline. But in Christ, you're born again into a spiritual identity, and your bloodline is no longer your biological bloodline, but now the blood of Jesus. So when God said, for Abraham to leave his father's land for a new land, this was the origin of this concept that we live out today, of departing and dying to um, our, our identity that's defined by biology into something that is defined by God's spirit. Let's keep on going. Hebrews 11, 9 through 10. It says, by faith he, talking about Abraham, dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. This is another concept that we see reoccurring in our life as Christians. Abraham's father's land was established. It was developed. It was probably a lot more populated. It was his comfort. It was what he knew. And I'm not sure if you guys can relate. I'm sure most of you can. But God has a tendency 
of pulling us away from what makes us comfortable, what's been established, what's been made by human hands, and he invites us to something that is built by him. And this is hard. This is tough. And this is what I'm reading. When I see that he land, check the way they worded this. He dwelt in the land of promise, the promised land, the, God, the land that God promised him, the one that was going to be this abundant land, this epic land. This is going to be the central place of blessing and anointing for the whole world, and I'm going to use this land and the people of this land and the kingdom of this land to bless every nation around the world, and God has, and this is very typical of God. God, God gives us these visions that are so grand and so beyond what we could even imagine, and it's like, oh my gosh, this and this, and he shows you, and some of us are very visual people, and we've gotten visions when we read the word, and we have this sense of, man, God is calling me to amazing things, and he goes, and here it is, and it's like this basic land with like tumbleweed and like no one around, it's dry, it's not impressive at all, it looks horrible, and he goes, this is it, and we're like, this is the promise? God does that all the time. He did it with Abraham. Gave him a grand, when I say grand, read the promises that God gave describing this promised land to Abraham. But it says that he lived in the promised land as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents. I don't know if you guys know about tents, but tents are not very architecturally impressive. Um, they're tents. Now, we know, because we know, the, most of us know the, the Bible, we know that there was a time where the promised land had huge tabernacles and incredible architecture and gold and all these things. But before it was that, it was a land of a bunch of tents. And it wasn't just... 20 days or 20 weeks or three years or 10 years that he lived like this. It says he lived like this with Isaac and Jacob, which shows that three generations at least of God's people lived in the promised land while it looked like a piece of junk. Which shows that God's people are called to have a capacity to exist in the promise, even if the manifestations have not happened yet. Three generations of God's people lived in the grand promised land in nothing but a bunch of tents, still calling them, this is the promised land. I mean, imagine how many naysayers laughed at them. Walking by their little camp set up, their trailers, and they're going, this is, God's, this is God's promised land. This is what he promised us. Oh, yeah, cool. Let me, I'm going to go to my hotel. I'm going to go to my grand building. Guys, there are so many seasons in life of faith where you have to dwell in the middle of the promise even though nothing looks like the promise around you. Again, the whole point of uh, Hebrews 11 is for us to be inspired by people and hear what people who live by faith 
went through so that we can endure our lot and our version of the promise that doesn't look like it. But it's happening because faith, again, enables you to believe in what you haven't seen yet. So even though I'm living in a tent, even though I'm eating ramen, even though I can barely afford water, I'm in the promise of God because this is where God called me to be. God called me to be here. God called me to set up camp here. And even though it doesn't look like what the vision was that he gave me, if Abraham was able to raise not only his son but his grandsons in tents, knowing that they were on the promised land, surely I can endure these six years or ten years of things not looking exactly like the vision that God put in my heart or that God spoke to me in his word. Verse 10, for he waited. Everyone say waited. Faith requires waiting. For the city which has foundations whose builder and maker is God. Now this is inspiring. And I can just, I'm inspired as I think about Abraham holding out for something that God was building. I'm not sure about you guys, but when you're waiting for God to do something, it gets really tempting to not try to just do it yourself. It's like, I mean, at this point, I could go get some lumber. I could build this city, and God goes, I'm building the city. I'm building this promised land. And most of you guys know by now that God is not obligated to fit things in our preferred time frame. He's not obligated. That doesn't make him less good. That doesn't make him less loving. It makes him God. Y'all know that Abraham wanted to have more to show for before, before it happened. But he still waited because God is building this. And when God is building it, I've got to let him build it. Even if that means for three generations at least, I'm still living in a tent. This is why Hebrews 11 exists. So we can hear these stories of people who lived by faith. And it can help, A, manage our expectations, which I think is a big thing in the church. We need to learn how to manage our expectations, but yet still not compromise on the magnitude of God's promise for our lives. It's both. It's both and. We have to hold out for the full manifestation. And the per at the same time, we have to manage and know that the timing might not be what we want it to be. And faith is what gives us the ability to keep going even when it hasn't all happened the way God told us it was going to happen. Faith is the forward drive for God's promises. Faith is the thing that continues to drive you forward even when the full promises have not been manifested 
the way that you believe that they should. Let's talk about Sarah, his wife. She had, a, she had her own faith journey. All of us have our own faith journeys. Verse 11, by faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age. Because she judged him faithful who had promised. Now, this is what I'm going I'm to call this section, Consider the Source. We as people live by a credibility philosophy of consider the source. Oftentimes, guys, the promises of God seem impossible. They seem outlandish. They seem hysterical even. By the way, Isaac means laughter. It was so preposterous that she in her age would conceive a child, she laughed. And this is really funny. The angel said, you laughed. And she goes, no, I didn't. He said, yes, you did. It's, it's, it's probably the top four funniest exchanges in Scripture. Um, she said, no, I didn't. He goes, yes, you did. I think it's so funny that she said, no, I didn't. Um, and that it's documented. Um, uh They're, 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 they're impossible. They seem impossible primarily because you, you can't see it. And again, human beings, we're conditioned to only believe what we see. That's how we're conditioned from birth. So even at the bare minimum, the promises of God are, are something that you haven't seen yet, which for half of us already discounts it, not to mention they're beyond, they're like grand, they're like things that don't make sense, they're things that don't fit your Enneagram type, things that don't fit, 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 fit your socioeconomical background, things that don't fit your personality or what you perceive your personality. Sometimes I love that we try to educate God on our personality as if he doesn't like, thank you, Jesus, help us. Guys, the Lord calls us to things that seem impossible to us. But let, let's learn from Sarah. How did Sarah accept outlandish promises from God? It wasn't that it was a very believable promise. It was, can you pull it back up? She judged him faithful. I'm going to get off topic, well, not off topic, but I'm going to give a cross-reference. There's a time where Jesus is talking to, to his disciples, and he said, who do people say I am? And they start listing all these things. They say you're this, they say you're that. And then he asked something very profound. He said, who do you say I am? We underestimate how much weight our judgment of God plays in our lives. If you don't believe that Jesus is truly king of kings, even though he is, your life will reflect that he isn't. E 
even if, if you don't perceive and judge, I love the word judge, if you don't, if you don't make a judgment, a personal judgment that Jesus is a healer, even though he is, your life will reflect that he isn't. If you don't make a personal judgment that God is good, even though he is, your life will reflect that he's not. If you don't make a personal judgment that he is full of mercy, even though he is, your life will reflect that he's not. The reason why this happened for Sarah is because Sarah made a personal judgment. God is faithful. So as ridiculous as this promise that he made, because the one who said it can't lie, I believe it. We have to learn from Sarah. We have to consider the source. If in your gut you still don't believe that God tells the truth, when he gives you the truth, you won't accept it. Not because it's not true, because you have made a personal judgment that I don't know about him. I don't know if this guy, which is a mistake in itself, he's not a guy, he's God. But we, we deal with him like he's one of us. Sarah made a personal judgment that God is faithful. So if he said it, it's done. Like the, the belief word song. Dawn. You said it. I believe it. It's done. That's on you. Notice the ball is in your court regarding that. Sarah made the judgment. God knew he was faithful. But if Sarah didn't make the judgment that he was faithful, then he couldn't work through her life. Jesus, there's a reason why he says, who do you say I am? Because if they still believe that he was just Mary and Joseph's boy, they, nothing would work. Because we're just dealing with a guy who's just like us. He makes mistakes just like us. He's, he's fallible just like us. He's human just like us. And none of the rest of the commission would work. But when they said, you are the Messiah, you are the Son of God, he goes, boom. The Spirit of God lets you know that, and we can work together. Because you have judged, you have made a personal judgment that I'm not lying. You have made a personal judgment that I am who I say I am. So a lot of you guys got to make a choice. You've got to really assess your heart. And if you've judged God as faithful, I love that story about Sarah. That's, that's so cool that she, because the faithful one said it, even if it's ridiculous, let's go.
Hebrews 11, verse 12. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born as many as the stars of the sky. Thank you, Jesus. In multitude, innumerable. Innumerable means you can't count how many. You can't count how many. As the sand which is by the seashore. And I love, oh, oh, I love the scripture. I love this passage. It says, okay, this, this, is, this, is, this passage is basically a boast of how powerful faith is. Faith is so powerful that one man, not even a team, not even a church, one man, and I love they brought up, and he was as good as dead. Old, old guy, older than anybody that we've ever met. Like old, old. It wasn't like the strapping young guy with, who's full of vitality and ready to, you know, we're not talking about David. We're talking about some old guy who might could barely walk. It says one man who was just as good as dead almost was able to produce an innumerable amount of descendants. And I love that God, uh, God is very strategic in his imagery and the way that he words things because he knows how logic works. Because if one nearly dead man could produce that much from faith, then how much could hundreds, full of energy, full of youth, full of strength, if one man who was nearly dead could produce multitudes of descendants, how much more could the people in this room who have way more than Abraham did? We've got the Bible. We've got the gifts of the Spirit. We've got the cross. Abraham didn't have any of that. He had faith. He believed that God was real and that God told the truth. That's all he had. Old dude who believed that God was real and he told the truth. And that was able to produce a nation. So if God can do that, he's trying to percolate our inspiration. He's trying to get us going, hmm, man, what am I sitting on? What do I have inside of me? What could this faith do for my family? What could faith do for this city? I mean, if one man could produce a nation, then, I mean, I'll, we are called to Nashville, but something tells me we could go beyond Nashville. We could actually touch every nation. If one man could make a whole nation, how much could 300 people do with faith? Hebrews 11, 13 through 16. It's the last part. This is great. Y'all got to read the stuff on y'all's own. Like, this is really great stuff, y'all. So good. Man, the Bible is the best. These all died in faith, and by all of them, 
He's talking about Abel. He's talking about Noah. He's talking about Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, everyone that he's been listing. They all died in faith. Now, this is, this is where, remember I told you all this month isn't about having faith. It's about being full of faith. Like, the Lord is, he's not holding up on the standard for us. Like, he's not, he's not babying us. God is not patronizing us. He's not going, oh, well, he's not, like, reducing the call and the promise and the potential with us. A lot of us would think, oh, man, like, I mean, imagine somebody who has, like, never worked out in their life. God still tells that person, I'm calling you to run a marathon. I think you all should know that about God. Now, he, he, he might say this is going to take a while, and we're going to get there, but you're going to complete a marathon. And he actually will give you a time that you're going to finish it in. Like, that's God. God doesn't go, oh, man, that person never worked out in their life. Well, let me, like, reduce their call and the promise that I have for them and their potential and say, hey, you know, you're just going to, like, walk to the mailbox. And that's the promise for your life. Now, walking to the mailbox might be a step in the process, but it's not the end. And the Lord comes to us. He's alpha and omega. He knows the end from the beginning. God is, he, he comes to you with the end and says, now let's start. That's how God works. He comes to you with the end game, the end picture, and says, let's start. So my point is, I know some of you guys are like, man, I barely have enough faith to just get through the day. And I'm t- <laughs> but he's still saying, I've called, I'm calling you to faithfulness. I'm calling you to not only what these guys did, but even more. And I'll walk with you the whole way. All of these died. The reason why I said that, because I'm about to show another degree of faith. That's even beyond what I've talked about before. All of these died in faith, not having received the promise. Some of you guys are literally struggling that it might take two years for the promises of God to manifest in your life. Some of you guys are struggling that it might not happen until you're a grandparent. God is calling us to a degree of faith where you still go for with gusto even if it doesn't happen in your lifetime. See how far we've got to go? Some of us struggle with the capacity for eight months And God is going, even though I know you barely have the ability to wait for me for four years, I'm still going to challenge you with the standard of faith of doing it even if it doesn't happen in your lifetime. And this is training our thought from being selfish to family. Because there's certain manifestations of God's promises that only your great-grandkids are going to see. And you've got to be okay with that. You've got to actually rejoice over that. It's a new way of thinking. No more of just my life, my time frame, otherwise, God, me and you are through. 
which is the way a lot of people live. If God doesn't jump when they say jump, we say, this is not what I thought this was, and I'm going to find something else to do. But the word of God tells us that these people of faith, the faithful ones, everyone say the faithful ones, the faithful ones not having received the promise, they died. But having seen, this is how faith works, and this is why you can still be happy. Because Some of y'all are like, dang, like, this is not a very uplifting message. God's promises might not even happen while I'm alive. The reason why we can still enjoy life, because this is how faith works. Faith is the substance of what you're hoping for. So even though what you're hoping for hasn't happened, you can still live in it as if it is happening. Waiting on God and faith is not like a waiting room in the doctor's office where you've got that lame jazz music playing and you're flipping through old, outdated magazines and you're just twiddling your thumbs until your name is called. That's not waiting in faith. Waiting in faith is even in the waiting room, you're still enjoying the substance of the promise. This is how it works. It says, but faith having seen them from afar. Another translation says they saw it and they greeted them. So faith is seeing and greeting and embracing your hopes while they're still far off. Faith is seeing, greeting, and embracing your hopes even while they're still far off. If I can think of any analogy, you know, like if, if someone, maybe someone's been overseas fighting in Afghanistan or they, maybe someone was away for a long trip and you're at the airport and you've got your sign saying welcome home, all that. Have you ever noticed that people don't wait to get excited once you're actually embracing them physically? What happens at those airports? You see that person from far away and you start jumping up and down even though you haven't even hugged them yet. They're still far away, but you are like, ah! Have y'all touched yet? No. Have you hugged yet? No. Have y'all started talking yet? No. But even while it's far off, you're like, I can see it and I'm so happy. That's faith. Faith is while the promises of God are still far away, you can see it, you can greet it, and you can still enjoy the fullness of that promise even though you haven't physically, tangibly touched yet. The prodigal son. The Bible says the father, while the son was still far off, my son's home, he ran to him. The excitement, the joy, the fullness was there before they actually touched. The reason why Abraham was still able to live a full life and a fulfilling life, even though he, was, he died living in a tent. Abraham died living in a tent. But the promise of this promised city, this grand city, was realized and was alive in his heart.
having seen them from afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on earth. Now, this is another level. I'm telling you, God's not holding out the stops. A lot of us are like, man, I'm still trying to warm up to believing that God has good things for me. Faithfulness is having such an assurance that your future is greater than your current life that you will actually consider yourself a foreigner and a stranger in your current world. Let me show you the standards of what I'm talking about. Pretty much most of us, I hope, you know, believe that we're going to go to heaven, you know, because of Jesus, right? Heaven's promised to us, right? That's great. I hope you believe that. I'd be nervous if you didn't. But that's not the faithfulness that God is inviting us to. It's one thing to believe that you're going to heaven. It's another thing to believe that heaven is actually your home and you're just a stranger here until you get there. That is a standard that the Lord is inviting us to. I, I know you guys, I mean, give yourself a pat on the back that you believe you're going to heaven. That's awesome, but that's not the fullness. God says you've got to be so convinced, you've got to be so full of faith that your destination is your home and you're just in travel to get there. The Bible says the church is supposed to be anticipating his return. And I fear sometimes when we don't live by faith, the visible world is more dominant. And the visible world becomes more important. And the visible world becomes our home. So we live our lives like everything starts and ends with what happens in the visible world. And the person that lives like the visible world is more real than the unseen world. There's some of us that low-key, if we are honest, we actually are dreading his return. Because it's like, oh, I just love here. My Kodasak is so nice. I spent so much time on my decor. Oh, I love my kids' little overalls and their, oh, oh, I guess, I guess I'm happy that this is all going to go away. That's what happens when you don't live by faith. That's, we're vulnerable to that kind of disposition as Christians when we live because it's only by faith that we understand that nothing that's, that we see is forever. And we, we're supposed to be so confirmed in that truth that we consider our lives right now, we're just strangers here. We're just passing through. Again, are we all there yet? No. But that's why we're here. So that our faith can increase and we can begin to look like the faithful ones that we read about in Scripture. Verse 15, 
No, for they say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. Verse 15, and truly, if they had called to mind that, thank you, Jesus, this word is relentless. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. Okay. Hallelujah for Hebrews. Scripture says that if you keep where you come from in mind, you're vulnerable to go back. Guys, that's why there's not a lot of middle ground. Like, yes, I want you guys to walk out of here saying, man, the message was that faith is awesome and that we should have it. But the word says you also need to know that it's very dangerous not to have it. Remember how I told you all a few weeks ago that sometimes I think we look at God's counsel as like, like it's a better option. And yes, Duh, it is a better option, but the alternative is really bad. <laughs> the alternative is really bad. If you don't live in faith, what happens is if, you're, if, you're, if, the, if, what has, if what you haven't seen yet isn't considered your home, then what you have right now is considered your home. And the Bible says that you will now have the opportunity, you will see it as a reason to go back. And we know people in Scripture who went back, and it did not end well. Lot's wife. Jesus said, don't forget Lot's wife. Please use her as an example of what not to do. Don't be so fond of where you come from and so fond of your heritage and so fond of who you were before Jesus and who you even are right now. Don't be so fond of these things to where you reject invitations to grow and move forward. We can't be so fond of our current tent because the promises are moving us forward. And it's this great balance of being content but not complacent. And it's a tension that I don't think any of us can really avoid. The same God that says rejoice in all things is also the same God that says be careful that you don't get too comfortable here. So it's just a tension that exists. And it, it makes us better. I'm convinced it makes us better. If God's called us to it, like Sarah, I, ju I judge God faithful. So if he's called me to this crazy tension of being content and being grateful for where I am, but also not loving it to where I reject moving forward, even though I wish it wasn't that, <laughs> I got to trust that that's the, way, that's the best way for me. Verse 16, but now they desire a better. So now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Please read this on your own time. So much in it. We're done. But it ends with saying, he has prepared a city for them. I don't know if you guys recall, but our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, echoed this when he said, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. People of faith need to live aware that there is a place 
being prepared for us. And yes, faith is a gift because it allows us to still live fulfilled lives in the meantime. That was actually, I was actually going to call this series Meantime, the meantime, but I went with the faithful ones. But, but faith is such a gift of learning how to, faith gives us the ability to be fulfilled in the meantime. To be blessed in the meantime. But at the same time, even though we're blessed to still live in that joy of seeing something from afar, we still have to know that something ahead is better. Something ahead is greater. And I think that goes to every, any scale. I think we can believe that for our natural lives. Like while during our lifetime, I do believe that it's biblical to believe that our best days have yet to come. But even on the eternal scale, that's the cool thing about Christians. We don't have, our end date is not the same as other people. There is no end date for us. It's like we have eternal life. So we can say, man, it's, it's literally going to get better. Like every day is a step closer to my best days. That's how faithful people think. That's how faithful people talk. That's just they, they confessed. They spoke faithfully. So we've got a lot of work to do. But I'll tell you this. It's your love for God that is going to be the fuel for all of this. Because if you don't love God, you could care less that this kind of way pleases him. God is making it very clear that living and thinking this kind of way is what pleases me. If you don't love God, you could care less. You couldn't care less. It's like, cool, but that doesn't please me, so I'm out. <laughs> but if you love God, hearing that living faithfully and living this way is what pleases him, you're going to at least start trying to. I'm not saying you're going to hit out the park every week. Lord knows I don't. But God forbid we're not trying to live and think and talk this way, even if it feels a little bit awkward, because it will, especially if you're not used to living and talking by faith. It's going to feel awkward. The enemy's going to tell you you're losing your personality. The enemy's going to tell you, oh, my God, I feel like I'm just losing my identity. Well, maybe you are. <laughs> but if you're trading it for Jesus, then come on, how much do you think of your identity? Like, geez, how much do you think of yourself that you're not willing to totally ditch your identity for Christ's identity? I like me, but I don't like me that much. I happen to like me. But I don't like myself that much that I'm willing to forfeit the identity of Jesus to, to preserve my thing. Speaking of it, Jesus wants to give you his identity. He died on the cross. He wants to give you his identity. He shed his blood. He poured out his spirit. But you have to make the personal judgment, like Sarah, that his identity 
is good, holy, and better than yours. Otherwise, you won't come to him. It costs too much to follow Jesus for you not to have made the personal judgment that he's better than you. So this is an invitation to make a personal judgment. That's what salvation is all about, making a personal judgment that Jesus is the Messiah and that Jesus is the Son of God and that Jesus is the King of Kings and that he is worthy of your life. He is worthy of your future. He is worthy. So we all have a choice to make. My prayer is that you make the personal judgment that Jesus is worth leaving your tent, leaving your father's home like Abraham did, that Jesus is worth building an ark in the middle of a drought, even though it seems so stupid. <laughs> you got to make a personal judgment that Jesus is worth fill in the blank of whatever it costs to, to please him. So please, let's stand. We're going to close out. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for inviting us to a standard of faithfulness. Lord, we all walked in with a measure of faith, but I believe that through Hebrews 11, you're calling us to, to grow that faith to overflowing. Lord, and we need help. So, Jesus, we turn to you because the word says, Jesus, that you are the author and the finisher of our faith. You actually have the power to take the little bit of faith that we have and grow it to a full measure. Lord, we come to you asking for you to grow our faith. Teach us how to live by faith. Teach us how to talk by faith. Teach us how to think by faith. We judge you, Lord, as faithful. We judge you as good. We make a personal judgment that you are worthy to be followed. You are worthy to, to be obeyed. You are worthy to be praised. You are worthy to be worshipped. We make a personal judgment to call you worthy. So, Father, take our surrender and develop us to where we can be in the ranks of the faithful ones. Thank you, Jesus. For those of you who are ready to consider Jesus your king, your master, your Lord, your leader, your shepherd, repeat this prayer after me. Father, in the name of Jesus, 
I confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins and was raised from the dead on the third day. Forgive me of my sins and make me a new person in Christ. Lord Jesus, I choose you to be the Lord of my life. Fill me with the Holy Spirit so I can live for you every day. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Let's celebrate salvation. Let's celebrate the hope even while it's far off. Let's see it. Let's embrace it and know that our lives are now hidden in Christ. Our sins are forgiven. We are new creations. Our eternity, our destiny has been totally blessed. We've switched over from darkness to light. And just so you know, everything I said, you can't see it yet. Most of you can't even feel it yet, which is why it's so important to learn faith. Because faith goes according to the word. I am a new creation. I still look the same. I still feel the same. But if God said it, I judge him faithful. And I know it's true. So that's why we celebrate now. Even though the end hasn't come yet, and even though we're still on this earth, we're not in heaven yet, we celebrate as if we are. If you said yes to Jesus, please let us know. The way we ask you to let us know is by get out, getting out your phone and texting yes to Jesus. And yes to Jesus just gives us uh, the ability to keep track with how many are making this choice each week, and we get to give you some information, um, scriptures that help you navigate your walk with Jesus. Um, it's really helpful, and I would love for it to sh us to share it with you. So text that uh, to 77411, yes to Jesus, to 77411, and uh, we would love to hear from you. If you would like to get more connected to our church, uh, please Text belong uh, earlier, the number that we gave you. Text belong to 77411. We can let you know about our church. We've got a booth out there. We can answer questions. And we've got next steps, which is right after service, right after I pray, uh, room 104. Uh, we would love to see you there. Uh, Marion is leading today, and it's going to be a great next steps. Um, if you would like prayer, Please, let us know. Please, this is a house of prayer. We have an entire team that's committed to pray for anything that you're going through. So you can let us know online by going to the website, or you can come down at the end, and we've got two leaders that are going to be here to pray for whoever needs prayer. Um, if you would like to give an offering, maybe you didn't give online, but you want to give a physical offering, we've got the finance team in the middle aisle. They'll be happy to serve you on your way out. And again, life groups are starting, guys. Please Please take the initiative, sign up for a group. It's going to be a blessing to your life. Uh, approach it with faith, saying, Lord, you know, this is going to be a blessing to me. This is going to be a blessing to me, and I believe it will be. So please sign up for one. Go to our website. It does take some initiative, but it's worth it. 
Um, so I love you guys. I'm so happy you're here. Next week, we're going to do more of Hebrews 11. This whole month is just Hebrews 11, verse by verse. Um, so let's uh, pray. Father, thank you so much for your, uh, your spirit. Thank you for your presence. Lord, I pray for these people here, Lord, your people. Lord, I pray for you to take our faith to a new level. God, I pray, Lord, that we would say goodbye to who we were and, Lord, embrace who we are becoming, Lord, in you. God, I pray, Lord, for maturity. Lord, I pray for fruit. Lord, I pray for more people to be saved through the lives that are in this room. Lord, if you can make descendants from one old man, Lord, I believe you can make so much more with the people in this room. So we pray that in the name of Jesus, we love you. Amen. Have a great afternoon. Love you guys.